My sister had called excitedly that morning. Her husband was sick. They had tickets to the Ark, please, one-man show near the harbor front that night, and she needed a plus one. It's in the old Toronto Star Press warehouse, she told me. I know how you like those old artsy places with history or whatever. I remembered showing her pictures of Printer's Row in Nashville from our honeymoon. She'd just rolled her eyes. But did you see Blake Shelton at the bar he bought downtown? We hadn't, but we had enjoyed the rooftop patio there. She was Hollywood. I was Central Park. I met Maya at the Kipling station where we took the subway to Union. I tried to give my seat to an older woman with a large purse and she pointed to my stomach and said, You're carrying more than me, dear. And I was. I was carrying the whole world. I am Alana and this is Racing Home, the podcast where I unpack the journey of writing the first book in a series about the end of the world. Welcome. Well, dear friends, I have completely lost the lead. It is right now 8.14 on Tuesday, January 9th that I am recording this and this should have already been posted if I was to follow my Tuesday schedule. So here we are. Here's the reality. Yesterday morning, I knew I had to record. I had the intention of doing it. And then the day as it does, it got away from me. And it was last night as I was making banana muffins <laughs> that I thought, oh no, I didn't do it. So here we are on the day of posting, I am recording. I don't have much to report in the way of new words. In that weird recovery from Christmas, I found it hard to get back into a rhythm. I have done a lot of intense thought on planning the end, which is so much more exciting than finishing the writing process. <laughs> like I'm thinking about the party and the big marketing rollout how that's all going to look. And I feel quite excited and encouraged by the plan I have in place. But obviously, there's so much work to do on this book before I get there. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, I want to talk about sneaking in scenes from your real life into fiction. I really believe that you add a richness and believability to fiction by pulling from your own life. So I'm sure you've heard over and over again, write what you know. And I absolutely agree with that to a point. I think one of the great magics and freedom of fiction is exploring the things that you don't. But to lean into your own experiences and weave those into your narrative it does add a real sense of reality. This scene that I opened with was fully inspired by a trip to Toronto my sister and I just made. Just before Christmas, we went to Toronto to see a one-man show at the Lighthouse Art Space, which is in the old Toronto Star Press Warehouse. And it just felt like such a cool, quirky experience that... I wanted to put it in my book. I think on one hand, I wanted to capture what that little intimate theater experience was like. And then on the other hand, I wanted to present a realism so that anyone else who has been to Toronto, who has been to that theater, would instantly recognize it and appreciate it. I do expect that a lot of my reader base is going to be 
local-ish, so Ontario residents, many who will be familiar with Toronto. So this is kind of a nod to them. And it was just fun to write. I needed to explore the relationship between these two characters, these sisters, one of whom has a really leading role in the story. The other, I mean, spoiler alert, but she's not going to make it past this big apocalyptic moment. So I think it's important to give a position of value to a character who actually doesn't play later on. So even though this scene is between two sisters and it is based on the experience my sister and I had, that's kind of where it ends. The The personalities, the way I'm presenting each sister certainly is not a reflection of either myself nor my sister. I am the older of us. My sister is four years younger than me. We have a, a great relationship. We have a lot of fun together, but we are not at all like Aya and Maya. It's always interesting when you read a book. Do you wonder? I'd love to know if when you read a book, if you're wondering which part of this is actually pulled from the author's life. I know when I released my last book, Blackbird, it's full of some really terrible, heavy stuff. And one of the greatest pieces of feedback that I got, the most common, was how did you write this with such realism? Is this your story? Now, the the stuff that I'm covering in that book is very heavy. It's very dark. It's really tragic and traumatic. And I am telling you with full honesty, absolutely not. That is not my story. The parts of Blackbird that are mine are the setting descriptions. So I've actually set the main part of that story in my hometown. There's a big section that's actually on my home property. It's just been tweaked. To, the buildings look a little different. So you you can't. You can't assume that everything in a book is directly connected to an author's true experience. However, I would venture to say that there are many, many things weave through that are a direct relation to their lived experience. And I think that's a beautiful thing. On the weekend, we we went to the movies. We went and saw Wonka. A beautiful, adorable movie, probably the most wholesome thing I've experienced at the theater in a very, very long time. And somehow on the way home from that, we got into this huge discussion, really interesting, about religion and spirituality and where are we each at and what do we actually believe. It was a really fascinating conversation. It's really fun when your kids are grown and you can have adult conversations with them. I like this stage a lot. But through that conversation, I have come to understand that what I'm really doing in this writing process is exploring my own spirituality and deconstructing, reconstructing, trying to make sense of it all by putting it in this pressure cooker of the end of the world. So when you eventually hold this book in your hand, you are going to be holding my journey 
to discovering really what is in my heart and what I think about the world. It puts a different kind of pressure on the story that I'm telling and somehow adds more value to the idea of weaving my own experience throughout the story. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking every little moment that was actually pulled from my own experience because that takes away some of the magic when you read it. I just want you to know. And I think it would be fun if you wonder as you read it, was this real? Oh, was this real? How about this? Is this real? And um, my answer is probably going to be yes, yes, no, maybe a little bit and definitely not. That's really all I wanted to share with you today. So let's just finish up. I'm going to share that one man show experience with you. If you felt so compelled, I'd love for you to guess which parts are direct retellings of the experience that we had. Just for context, the one man show that my sister and I went to see was called Buffy Revamped, which was the retelling of the entire series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it was amazing. It was hilarious. So, so worth the ticket price. Fun fact about me, all three of my children are named for a Buffy the Vampire Slayer character. So this was right up my alley. I am a super fan of that dorky, stupid show. And it was really fun. So in trying to find something appropriate for this manuscript, the idea of someone creating a one-man show to make fun of the man, Noah, who is going to save the world, leaning into the whole Noah's Ark thing, that's where Ark Please came from. And I think it's kind of fun. I think I'd go see that show. So let's get into it. When we climbed back into the light, we made our way to Young Street and then walked almost all the way down to the waterfront. An old printing press was on display in the lobby, soft white lights trailing down on it where it glowed on a raised platform. I wanted to go look a little closer, but an usher gestured us in the other direction where ARC PLEASE posters lined a warehouse-like set of stairs to an upper floor. The theater was dim as we found our seats and settled in. Our premium tickets provided us with our choice of seats down front. Regular tickets were destined for folding plastic chairs in the back amphitheater, but we were blessed with round spinning armchairs, generously spaced and very comfortable. We chose the second row. Close enough for eye contact, but not close enough to get pulled into the show, my sister said, or get spit on. A bar just outside sold treats and spirits, so along with our playbill, my sister had a white wine and I had a Mr. Big Bar, a sweet puff pastry and a bottled water. It felt very on brand. She'd always been more grown up than me, even though I was three and a half years older. She bumped her plastic glass with a man in front of us. I'm Maya and this is Aya. Our parents had a sense of humor. It was how she always introduced us, pretending it was the most annoying thing in the world, but secretly loving it. We both had a tiny tattoo on the side of our middle fingers that said Mayaya. She told people it was a motivational Hawaiian word that meant always further, but really it was nonsense. And to us, it meant sisters forever. The show was funny. The actor was charismatic and witty and Maya had been right. The front row was heavily involved in the show, mostly as the butt of many jokes, but still. We were safe, save for that one wild splash of sweat that flung over the audience when he jumped up on a table and yelled, I am the king of the world! You know, just like Noah did after the Ark was built. 
A part of me felt sad about the whole thing, but I didn't know how to articulate that to Maya as we climbed young again on our way back to Union. She would have written it off as pregnancy hormones, and I knew it was more than that. She raved about the moment in the middle when the whole crowd sang, Michael, row your boat ashore, and the jello shots that were passed around at the end, virgin of course. Just one final bit to make fun of Rajiv Montgomery Noah. The actor slipped into a thick Indian accent any time he was being Mr. Noah, and it felt cringy, even though I laughed along with everyone else. Everyone and Wikipedia knew that Rajiv had come to Canada as an 11-year-old, and though he did have an accent, it was mild. What if the shots actually had the little robots in them, I asked as we walked under the Gardner Expressway overpass. Because you think RMN would endorse this kind of thing? Maya laughed. Of course not. It'd be smart though, wouldn't it? Another way to feed the masses? He said he would only give it to people who gave consent, I protested. Right, she said, turning to me so her back was to one of the cement pillars holding up the highway. A large black and white cow with a flower behind its ear was posted there. A rabbit stared at us from the next pillar and a moose from the one on the other side of the crosswalk. We were part of an exhibit. Two lottery tickets are better than one. She winked at me and the light changed, and as we crossed the highway, weaving around vehicles that were backed up into the intersection, I knew she'd done it too. She'd given her consent and drank the promise of Rajiv Montgomery Noah. What do you think happens to the people who are chosen, I asked, as we climbed the hill to Young? Experiments, Maya said, like weird mothership stuff, or sex stuff, probably sex stuff. Nah, I protested. He said it's for the survival of the human race. Maya stopped and put a hand on her hip. How do you think babies are made, Aya? We both giggled, but I felt a deep wave of sadness and had to choke back something as we resumed our climb. I bet everyone will be gorgeous, too. It's not like he'll choose a bunch of uggos to keep the faith. She put one hand over the other in a claw motion and twisted like she was opening a jar, clicking her tongue with each one each turn. Like a never-ending orgy. Every day the cells shift and you mate with a new partner until it's baby city. Gross, I said. Baby girl, have you been married too long to remember good stranger sex, she teased. Divine. Mostly. Maya was so much more explorative than I'd ever been. Basically a child when Ryan snatched me up, so focused on my art degree that I forgot to explore my own sexual awakening. Snap out of it, Aya, she said, bumping my shoulder with hers. It'll be the perfect time to catch up. I felt the weight of the baby against my bladder. Yeah, right, I said as we rounded the corner and headed for the subway sign that would take us underground. Chin up, bright eyes. We'll talk again next week. If you would like to support my writing journey with a small financial donation, you may do so by visiting bio.site slash Alana Rusnak. That link is available in the show notes. You can make a donation of any size of your choosing and it will go towards funding the production of this book. Writing takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. It requires a lot of coffee and chocolate. So if you wanna help out, that's one way you can do it. Donations over $50 will be automatically signed up to receive a signed copy of When the Trees All Burn at least one week before official launch.